Chapter 8 Paula looks around her new flat in Compton House on Church Street in Liverpool. It is small and neat. It is the first time in her life she will be living alone. I'm not sure how I feel about living on my own, she thought. I'll just have to get used to it. At least I'm still in England, she said out loud, to no one listening. She walked over to the window and looked out down on the busy street below. Gosh, it's high. I'm four floors up, she thought. I have a little kitchen. Opening the doors of the presses, she found that they were stocked with everything she could possibly need. The fridge was also stocked. She wandered into the bedroom. It had cream flowery, flowery wallpaper on the walls, three shades of green with big pink flowers. The bed had a large green eiderdown with matching curtains. Images of home flashed through her mind. Her hard-working mother. I will get all this for you and more, Mum, someday, she thought. She now opened the wardrobe and finds that it is also stocked with the most beautiful clothes Paula has ever owned. She said, I think I'm going to like it here, out loud running her hand along the clothes. She would need them for her cover and her new persona. I'm amazed how quickly I have gotten used to Paula, thought Kay. I was mad with myself when I wasted paper signing the letter home with Paula. She'd had to rewrite it. She spent the evening settling into her new space. Now time to eat something. She now took a closer look inside the fridge. It is stocked with vegetables, milk, cocoa. There's a note stuck to the cocoa and some cheese. I remember you seemed to like chocolate, wrote General Linden. Paula went red from head to toe at the memory of her horsing down the biscuits. I can't believe I have all this, she said, spinning around. Thinking of home now, it reminded her of how, as soon as she had started living at home, her mam had started sharing her gifts. I can use them all now. Thank you, ma'am. I know how to put it to good use, she smiled. You will have all this someday too, ma'am. Her ma'am had started sharing her gifts with Paula as soon as she had come home to live. Of the three girls, Paula loved working in the kitchen with her mam most. I'm not saying I was the best. I loved it the most, thought Paula. I must say goodbye to Kay for the next few years. She had been given time at the house to write as many letters predating them to her friends and family as she liked. So things would seem normal at home. She was grateful for this, 
When they ran out, someone would reply in her name to all letters. This seemed a bit strange, but it was all to do with keeping her cover. This was the last evening she would have the luxury of letting Cade for a moment. Every morning, most of the staff headed down to the ground floor to the shop. Paula had never seen anything like it. You are not going to be working down here, said Madeleine, the very elegant French lady who had knocked on her door that morning. She is slender and tall, with dark hair caught up in a bally-like bun. Her green eyes were very intent as she spoke to Paula in French. Paula was proud of her fluent reply. The staff also thought Paula was French. This way, she got away with smiling and nodding and not having to interact with the other employees much. This made it easier to keep her cover. Very few of the staff spoke French. Now heading up to the very top floor, Madeleine explains to Paula that she will be training her in in the fine art of couture fashion. Paula thought of Patty and how she would be in heaven in this job. Her gifts would thrive and grow. Maybe after the war she would get a chance. Now they entered a very large room with lots of natural light streaming in from the roof windows. The windows were in two rows, like you would find in a greenhouse, and polished wooden floors. The length of one side of the room is a very long table. An image of the orphanage pops into Paula's mind. On the other side, there is a line of mannequins beautifully dressed in dresses and gowns. Madeleine looks at Paula's facial expression. Aren't they wonderful, she said to Paula. Above each piece on the wall is a black and white photograph of each designer. You will have to get to know each one and be able to recognise them by their work, said Madeleine. There was a Hollywood feel to some of the gowns. Paula had seen in films soft flowing material as light as a feather. Madeleine spoke, taking Paula out of her daydream. We will start with the master, Coco Chanel. Beautiful, simple lines for the female body, using contrast strong blocks of colour. Christian Dior. Now here is one to watch. I promise you, invest in one of his pieces and you won't go wrong. Paula thought how she would love Patty to see and learn all this. The list of designers went on. Louis Vuitton, Gail Roche. He is also one to watch. These are the most gifted of the fashion world. We are so privileged to work in the same circle as them. The list seemed to be endless to Paula. She would love learning all about them. As time passed, Paula is settling into her life in this marvellous store, built by the two American brothers, Williams and James Redcliffe. 
Jeffers and Co. About 180 staff live in the rooms on the upper floors. It has been a couturier and cabinet makers since 1832. Patty really should be working here, thought Paula. Paula longed to share her new life with Patty. There was no way she could. Today, the long table was full of carefully laid out pieces of pattern. Paula was learning each piece. This was where the magic happened. The drawings came to life. Paula felt great as she held each solid wooden piece in her hand, deciding what sleeve, sleeve, neckline, length would suit best. They may be called cabinet bakers, which they are, but we would be lost without them up here, she thought. On the back wall, in this lovely bright room, which has the roof windows open today, hung hundreds of wooden pattern pieces to choose from. Madeleine always worked two seasons ahead. It had not taken her long to recognise Paula's natural talent and eye for detail. This had been a great relief to Madeleine. She had no idea who the army were going to send. Paula had not spoken a word of English in months. Now she is reading a letter telling her she is to report to London headquarters in two days. I still don't know if Madeleine knows I'm undercover, as not a word has passed between us about anything but fashion training. She is kind, thought Paula, but she is a boss first and foremost. Looking at her travel warrant, I will be spending my day off in London. I wonder if I will get to be Kay even for a moment. How I would dearly love to meet up with Susan. She has received a couple of letters. It's so weird knowing someone else is answering them. But it is better than nothing. There was a lot to get used to in this new life. Now on the train, Paula is enjoying watching the countryside spin past. She remembers her mother's huge packed lunch with its fresh chicken sandwiches and tea brack. She dearly wishes she had some now. She could smell them and her mouth was watering at the thought of it. Again a driver and car are waiting for her. She is whisked off to an office in a building she has never been in before. So I'm not going to get a chance to meet anyone, she thought. At least I am now eating a good lunch before the meeting starts. You will be on the boat home tomorrow morning, said General Linden. Kay's heart leapt in her chest. You have three weeks leave. Make the most of it. That will be the end of Kay for quite some time. Can I be Kay for the rest of the day? asked Paula. I can't see why not, he answered. Wonderful. I'll head straight to find Susan, she thought. It would 
it won't be back in, in you won't be back in England. You will receive your instructions in Ireland and head straight to France. Her lovely life was disappearing again. No more chauffeurs. Kay is walking out of the building. She's headed to the nearest tube underground and back to her old stomping ground. Here I am climbing steps again and my life is about to change again. She heard headed straight into the canteen. She would know by the girls that were in there what shift was working at the moment. Good, it's not Susan's, which meant that she was on nights at the moment. Are you back, a chorus of girls asked in unison. No, I've been posted up north. At least I'm closer to my sister. I'm on some leave, hoping to catch up with Susan. She has headed home this morning, said She's not on duty till next Wednesday night. She's so lucky to have home so close, said a girl. Kay only knew by sight and had never spoken to before. So many knew Kay because of her accident. Kay had not had the time to get to know any of them. I'll head so and follow her down. Lovely to see you all again. Kay was now on the train to Wellingborough. In the hours, in an hour's time or so, she would be opening the garden gate and walking up the pathway to the home that makes her feel so welcome any time she has a chance to visit. I'm so glad it will be, I will be able to say goodbye to see Susan and her mom in person. Carmel will get the message I leave for her, thought Kay. Carmel continued to visit on her days off after Kay had left. Susan's mam loves the company. Carmen is always that, with the gossip from the farm girls, who was in love with whom. It was about 20 minutes walk from the station to Susan's family home. It is a pleasant day, if not sunny. Kay is enjoying every minute of the walk. The air reminds her of Ireland so clear and fresh. You could taste it. Gosh, I haven't had time to even think about heading home. I'm free as a bird for the next three weeks. Mam will be so surprised. Kay was walking up the gangplank to the ferry to Ireland. She was once again dressed in uniform, carrying her kit bag. A young sailor greeted her as she stepped aboard. It's going to be very choppy crossing. I suggest you find a nice place to settle down quickly before all the best spots are taken. He smiled at Kay. Kay walked on and then paused and looked around for the map of the boat. She walked over to it. I need to find the main where the main kitchen is. That's the best spots. Kitchens have to be kept steady, thought Kay. Heading below deck, she followed the directions. As she made to walk into the restaurant area, a sailor stopped her. I'm sorry, the restaurant won't be opening for this crossing, he said. It's all right, I only want to bed down, Kay answered. Ah, you have a good head on your shoulders. The staff know that this is the best place, he said. 
leading Kay to the outer wall of the kitchen. Down here on the floor is best. Kay thanked him and started to settle down. I'd better eat my pack lunch now, she said to herself. There is still an hour to sailing. Always better to have a full tummy. The room started to fill up with people, mostly in uniform. Kay settled down to sleep in her sleeping bag. She had had a long, exciting day and was ready for sleep. Before long, Kay is in the land of Nod. She felt the boat start to move in her dreams and knew she, is on, knew she was on her way. She was not disturbed till about three hours into the journey. She woke to a loud sound of something falling in the kitchen. She sat up and looked around. A man not far away said, You must have been very tired. We've been bounced around all night. As Kay waited at the bus stop into town, she smiled at the thought of home. She loved the smell of her mam's baking. The sun was trying to make an unsuccessful show, peeking through the white fluffy clouds full of silver linings. Kay smiled. Her head turned upwards, enjoying the moment. She looked at her watch. The bus was a no-show. She headed over to the little cafe and ordered toast and tea. The girl from behind the counter winked at her. I have a couple of fresh eggs. The black market was alive and well, thought Kay. I'd love them, but to take with me. Kay paid for everything. The girl said, I'll have them for you on the way out. Kay thanked her. There's a story with the story with the bun bus. What's the story with this of the story of the bus? Scrap that. What's the story with the bus? asked Kay. They only run every second time now. Then only if there's at least ten people. People should start appearing soon, she said. Kay decided to walk the coast road home. It was only about a ten mile walk. The sea air will do me good. Within two hours she had made it. Her mum's house was in view. Dublin people chattered to you whether you knew them or not. Yes, she was home. As she walked up Creighton Street she saw a tiny child sitting on the steps of her mother's house. She looked about six and was covered in what looked like soot. Two frightened green eyes popped out of the darkness. Hello, who are you? asked Kay. No answer. Gosh, how did you get covered in soot? You're not a chimney sweep, are you? Still no answer. Kay sat down beside her. She was only a handful, just like a little doll. Do you live near here? asked Kay. Nothing but the pair of big green eyes staring back full of fear. I'll get you a drink of water. I live here with my mammy 
and my sister. The child turned her head and watched Kay go up the steps into the door of the house. She started to shiver as she sat looking down at the ground. Kay looked around her home. It was too early for there to be anyone home yet. She filled two glasses of water. Remembering the eggs, she put them in a small bowl and into the Belfast sink, her mum filled with cold water to keep things cool. She now looked in the biscuit tin to see if there was anything. Good on you, ma. She headed back outside to the child. She put the glass of water on the steps beside the child and handed one of the biscuits. The child looked at it, her hand coming up slowly to take it. This is the hand of a well-loved child, thought Kay. Kay took a drink from her glass and a bite from her biscuit. The child watched and then took a bite. This is very good. My mam makes them. A tiny voice said, so does mine. Do you live around here? The child lifted her two tiny shoulders as if she didn't know. I'm not getting much out of her. At least I know she can speak, thought Kay. Do you want to come inside and I'll clean you up a bit? Looking at the frightened child's eyes, she backtracked and said, You can stay here as long as you like. Kay stood up and headed back into the house. She heated a kettle of water on the gas ring. Kay went into the bedroom to get a towel and face cloth. Filling the now warm water into a basin, she added some soap. Back outside, she sat on the step beside the child. Let's see who's hiding behind all this silly soot. Kay squeezed out the face cloth and started to gently wipe the child's face clean. The skin was so fine and white, so unlike Kay's own. Kay was afraid it would tear. For the first time, the child smiled at Kay. Kay's heart melted. We will just have to get you back to your mammy, said Kay. Mrs. Broderick had just turned the corner into her street. She was tired and feeling lonely. Pat was out most evenings. She was young and needed fun in her life. I understand that, thought Mrs. Broderick. Just then she noticed two people sitting on the steps of her house. Her heart leapt, one she knew straight away. It's my Kay, she said out loud, no longer feeling tired and hurrying her step. Kay spotted her and went to meet her, taking her work bag from her. Now they were caught up in a big hug. Who's your little friend? her mam asked. I was hoping you would know she was here when I arrived. Only thing I've gotten out of her is that her mam makes the same biscuits. That's impossible. That's the family secret recipe, said Mrs. Broderick. Now at the steps of the house. Who do we have here? Reaching down, she picked the child up into her arms. The child just stared in silence. Then she put her head down on Mrs. Broderick's chest and closed her eyes. 
Poor little mite, she said softly. You have such a way with kids, said Kay. It was all the long years of longing to get yourself and Rachel back, I think, answered Mrs. Broderick, now lying the child down on her bed. What do you think happened to her, said Kay. She looks like the child of a chimney sweep, but she is dressed like the child of a lady. I've never seen this material before. They both looked at it. It's like it has a backing of nylon attached to it, said Kay. We will leave her sleep. You go down to the police station. Someone must be looking for her. Let them know she is safe and sleeping, said Mrs. Broderick. Kay arrived back. They had no report of a missing child. I said we would hold on to her till they heard something. I told them she was not a straight runner, but she looked like the child of a lady. They thanked us and said they would call to the house as soon as they heard anything, reported Kay to her man. She hasn't moved. I'm just altering this top so we can wash her clothes. I'll head down to Mrs. Murphy when she gets home from work. She has seven girls. I'll ask her to borrow some things, said Mrs. Broderick. Not long after, the cho child woke with a jump and started to look around her. With wide eyes, she looked at Kay and Mrs. Broderick. She put her, hand, her arms out to Kay and wanted to be lifted, saying, Ma'am. Kay lifts her into her arms. It felt right. She said nothing. Mrs. Broderick busies herself emptying the sink and filling it with warm water. You are going to have a fun bath. I'll give you a bar of soap to play with. Once I get the bubbles going, said Kay. You're a natural mother, Mrs. Broderick said to Kay. Who would have thought? Kay laughed. The child laughed as well. Now they were all laughing. The child now seemed happy and at ease. Mrs. Broderick asked her name. Mary, she answered. Where is your mammy? She then asked. Here, silly. The child answered, smiling up to Kay. Kay and her mother looked at each other. Her mother nodded yes, meaning to let her think this for the moment. She isn't frightened. Kay nodded back. A silent conversation that can only be held between a mother and daughter. Two days passed. There was a knock on the door and a policeman was standing outside. May I come in? he asked. Yes, any news, said Kay. I'm afraid not, he answered. 